100 years ago, a bold experiment died. It's the type of what-if moment that could have radically changed our world. Instead, it serves as merely a prophetic whisper that things are not as they should be. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, the last episode of Baptist Without an Adjective for 2019, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Rather than interview, I want to play some remarks that I made recently at the Bicentennial Celebration of Little Bon Femme Baptist Church in Columbia, Missouri. And I want to do that because my remarks really were on a topic that I think is important for a much broader audience of Baptists, something for us to think about, something that we've been thinking about on this program. What does it mean to be a Baptist without an adjective? So what I did on December 1st, as this church celebrated 200 years of ministering, was weave in not only some of the key themes and stories from that church's history, but to also tell the story of another anniversary. This year has been the 100th anniversary of the death of the Missouri Plan. It was a bold experiment in cooperation for missions of crossing denominational and other lines among Baptists that occurred in Missouri shortly after the Civil War. And unfortunately, it failed. But I think there's some really important morals to that story that we can learn and then hopefully we can apply today. And so I wanted to share these remarks because I really do hope that more people will will know about the Missouri plan and will learn from it. So these are my remarks at the Bicentennial Celebration at Little Bon Finn Baptist Church in Columbia, Missouri. But first, I need to let you know that this episode is also sponsored in part by Heartland Advocacy in Action a three-day event coming in February to help you become a more effective advocate with state and local government. It will be held at First Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri, February 8 to 10, 2020. It's a partnership event between CBF Global, CBF Heartland, ChurchNet, and Word and Way. The event will include practical training on how you can become a more effective advocate at both the local and state levels. And we'll be focusing a lot on issues like payday lending and church-state separation. It only costs $50, and that registration fee includes a copy of David Gushy's book, Moral Leadership for a Divided Age. Learn more at tinyurl.com slash heartlandadvocacy. And then join us February 8 to 10 at First Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. That's tinyurl.com slash heartlandadvocacy. Congratulations on 200 years of faithful ministry. It is an honor to be with you for this milestone celebration. Before there was a state of Missouri, there was a little Von Femme Baptist Church. 
before there was a Boone County or that little town that started growing, Columbia. It was a little Bon Finn Baptist Church. And for 200 years, the banner of Christ has waved here as cars replaced horses, as highways plowed through the wilderness, and as the rural farmland transformed into the now sprawling city of Columbia. So we should take time to pause, to honor those on whose shoulders we stand. The shoulders of those 16 men and women who met in a little house in this territory that had become part of the United States just 16 years earlier. And the shoulders of significant Baptist leaders who have been a part of this congregation, like William Jewell, Robert Thomas, Samuel Ford, well, I will note was also a Baptist news editor, David Hickman, the one that I think has the coolest name, Noah Flood. <laughs> I love that. My last name was Flood. My son's name would be Noah. I just, just <laughs> got to do that. And then, of course, Bart Tischner, who apparently loves the history of this church so much that he decided to revive the old tradition of coming as pastor and then leaving and then coming back again as pastor. And after his little chat this morning about the history of the pastors, I think you all should show your appreciation for his love of history and start just giving him one-year terms. <laughs> Make him sweat a little bit right before that renewal. But Little Bon Femme's anniversary is worth celebrating, not merely because you have been here for 200 years. A lot of things last a long time that aren't actually very good. But this church's history is worth commemorating because it is a story of some of God's people striving as imperfect but faithful witnesses in this place where God placed them. And I want to challenge us to think about what this past means for how we live today and into the future, especially in terms of missions and cooperation. But first, I want to commend you for spending all year thinking about your bicentennial with various historical nuggets throughout worship throughout the year. This anniversary is worth more than just one day. Many times in the Old Testament, we find that God's people would take stones and then they would place them like next to the River Jordan after God had just parted it right there as a reminder of what God had done. Likewise, you have been lifting up those stones all year. And I hope that what you have learned about your heritage, like those stones in the Old Testament, will inspire you for years to come. And I also want to commend you for being honest with your history in telling the good, of which there is much, as well as lamenting the mistakes. You have even told the stories of those enslaved and how some leaders of this church participated in that injustice. And it is important that we remember those former members of this congregation as well. Individuals like Peggy, Barry, Miriam, Peter, and many others. Far too few churches have thus far shown the courage to tell the truth as you have this year. And that matters, because how can we be trusted to tell the truth today if we cannot speak the uncomfortable truths about our own past? The ways we remember the past or not remember, 
Tell us who we see ourselves as today and who we want to be in the future. Well, thank you for setting that example. Now, considering that you have spent so much time thinking about lessons from the past two centuries, I want to spend a few minutes considering another anniversary, one that is not as positive, but I think that can help us to ponder key lessons that I believe come from this church's rich heritage. 100 years ago, a bold experiment died. It's the type of what-if moment that could have radically changed our world. Instead, it serves as merely a prophetic whisper that things are not as they should be. I'm talking about the Missouri Plan, an experiment in cooperation among Baptists following the Civil War. Let us first set the stage. Baptists split nationally in 1845 along the man-made Mason-Dixon line, allowing that man-made division to supersede the baptismal waters. This separation over the issue of slavery not only foreshadowed the coming national split and civil war in 1861, but it actually helped it occur. By tearing apart, Baptists made it more likely the nation would splinter. Baptist in Missouri, a slaveholding state, did not attend the original meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845. But the state convention did join the Southern Splinter the following year. With many Baptist pastors and leaders in the state condoning slavery and even enslaving people themselves, that decision was not a surprise. However, as a border state, with passionate debates surrounding the issue, there were Baptists in Missouri opposed to slavery and who supported the Union during the Civil War. And some of those Baptists, at the close of the Civil War, started an alternative state convention to align with Northern Baptists, today known as American Baptist Churches USA. Now, two conventions in the state seemed quite natural. After all, Missouri even had two competing governors during the war. The governor elected on the eve of fighting wanted to move the state to the Confederacy. But the state legislators stopped him. So he fled to Arkansas, where he claimed to still rule, albeit in exile. When he died there the next year, his lieutenant governor claimed the mantle of Confederate governor. Meanwhile, once the two of them had fled the state, the pro-union members of the state's constitutional convention, which had previously voted to reject the proposal to move to the Confederacy, elected a new governor. When he died, during the Civil War, his appointed lieutenant governor assumed the office. And if that's not confusing enough, you can find portraits of all four of those governors in the Capitol in the Hall of Governors. So in such a state, two Baptist conventions seem natural. Yet after fighting ended and the nation, not to mention the state, came back together under one government, Baptists remained divided. The Baptists in the newer convention that was aligned with the North decided to disband in 1867 and joined the older convention in hopes of bringing reconciliation. Two years later, the lone state convention voted to end its status as an auxiliary of the Southern Baptist Convention. This started a period of a couple of decades 
of Baptists in Missouri thinking about how to cross that line still dividing Baptists nationally. They decided to be neither Southern nor Northern. Instead, they sought to just be Baptist, believing that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, but there should be neither Northern nor Southern. In 1887, Missouri Baptists passed a resolution, which was written by a former Little Bond Finn pastor and Baptist journalist, lamenting the continuing national divide, complaining that there were competing mission boards despite there being no difference of faith or doctrine existing to cause this separation. Additionally, the resolution noted that in union there is strength. Thus, it called for a committee to meet with various national bodies, looking to and inquiring into the possibility of unifying our missionary agencies. The appointed group included as its chair that former Little Bond Bim pastor. He and the others traveled out east and met with various leaders from the national organizations. Then in 1889, two years later, that committee proposed a unified giving plan they dubbed the Missouri Plan as a way to bring Baptists back together. Along with establishing that unified giving plan that would send money both to Northern and Southern Baptist causes, Missouri Baptists at that meeting created a board of general home and foreign missions to provide ongoing leadership to this new Missouri plan. Little Bon Femme's pastor at that time served on that original board as one of its officers. And the man who served as the first president of that board later spoke at the first centennial celebration here at Little Bon Femme. That man, E.W. Stevens, was a journalist, and by the time he spoke here at the centennial, had been president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Apparently, you dropped a little bit for your second centennial speaker. But you've got 100 years to work on doing better for the third round. In 1890, Stevens reported back to the state convention and reflected on the Missouri plan and how it was going. He praised Missouri Baptists for putting aside the spirit of sectionalism and previous, that had previously menaced harmony and prosperity. The Missouri plan has attracted the attention of the country, he added, and its success may yet affect an innovation in missionary methods, north and south. The most gratifying experience has been the favor with which it has been received by churches. The Missouri plan appeals with special force to every Missouri Baptist. It means a unification of our missionary work a closer sympathy between the churches, a barrier of sectional bitterness, and an undoubted impetus to the mission cause. Stevens later credited the Missouri plan with increased missions contributions among Missouri Baptists and for having established a unity and brotherliness that has excited the admiration of the entire land and exercised an influence far beyond the borders of Missouri. Alas, it would not be. The Missouri plan ended in 1915, and the state convention decided to return to a single alignment with the Southern Baptist Convention in 1919. And with that, a half-century experiment in Baptist cooperation officially died. However, some churches continued to remain duly aligned, including for some time Little Bon Femme. 
Now, I've thought about the Missouri plan as I was going through materials of your two centuries of ministry, in part because pastors here played key roles in bringing this cooperative effort to life. And also because I think its vision matches much of what this church has demonstrated over two centuries. Missions has clearly been at the heart of this church. You even helped start multiple new churches in the first two decades. In 1827, this church helped start an association along with other Baptist churches in mid-Missouri. And then a decade later, this church and a few others left that association to start a new one in order to support missions because the anti-missionary spirit had wrecked the earlier association. By 1830, this church was supporting a local Baptist educational institution, and by 1834 had committed to giving to a giving plan for missions as the congregation's duty to give support to the gospel according as God has prospered. The next year, the Missouri Baptist General Association, now known as the Missouri Baptist Convention, was birthed in this church. The first clerk of the state body would soon start here as pastor, and several other pastors were involved in that early meeting. So with those moves in the 1820s and the 1830s to start local and statewide associations of churches, Baptists in this part of the country moved from being mostly independent churches to cooperating together for missions. And this congregation was at the forefront of those efforts. And I think it's important that we remember that when churches started forming associations and raising funds for missions, they not only gave, but decided to partner together to live out the Great Commission in ways they could not on their own. The call of missions literally changed Baptist theology and ecclesiology, moving us from independent congregations to networks of churches understanding the power of synergy and cooperation. But today it seems that we often regress towards independence, towards isolation towards illness. We splinter and tear apart. The Missouri plan sought to reconcile two Baptist groups. Not only did they not reconcile, but those two groups have since splintered into several others. We even tell jokes about it, like how church splits is how Baptists plant churches, but not, not this church. But what if we instead sought to take bold steps like the Missouri plan? And if that's not bad enough, we actually export our divisions. I have seen this elsewhere, such as in Cuba. On that island nation, there is an Eastern Baptist Convention and a Western Baptist Convention. And over what issue did the Baptists in Cuba split? Nothing. When doors opened for Protestant missions work in 1898, Baptists in the U.S. decided to divide the island for evangelism. So U.S. Baptists literally just drew a line down the middle of the island, with Southern Baptists taking the west and Northern Baptists taking the east. I have been to both parts of that island and visited Baptists on both sides. And Word of Way now has a partnership with El Ministero, which is the magazine of Baptists in eastern Cuba. If the two conventions were together, Baptists would be the largest Protestant denomination in Cuba. But they remain divided more than a century later simply because U.S. Baptists exported our division. 
That dividing point, by the way, occurred barely a decade after the start of the Missouri plan. If it had been successful, if the Missouri plan had been successful, not only would Baptists in the U.S. have reconciled, but Baptists in Cuba would have never have been artificially divided. So as we gather here to celebrate the birth of this church 200 years ago, let us also reflect on the spirit of missional cooperation that started 150 years ago with leaders from this congregation and then sadly ended 100 years ago. And maybe that vision can continue today. Perhaps Baptists can find life again in those dry bones. Maybe Baptists today can find ways to cross the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. Let us dream that dream together, like those that started this congregation dreamed a wild dream to start a little church in the middle of the wilderness that they probably did not imagine would still be here 200 years later. So let us have the faith to dream that dream and then to turn our dreams into deeds. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Found an Adjective. Come back in 2020. We'll be back with many more exciting interviews and other programs. You can learn more about Little Bon Finn Baptist Church at lbfbc.org. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partners for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net and the Heartland Advocacy in Action at tinyurl.com slash heartlandadvocacy. If you enjoyed this program, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook. Head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform to write a positive review, which will help more people to find the show. And you can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and our monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, you are missing out on more important news about Baptist here and around the world. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button there at wordandway.org, and you can fix that problem. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.